Welcome to the Athletic Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Evans, strength and conditioning coach and owner of Evans Performance. This is a podcast tailored for athletes, coaches, and parents interested in every facet of athletic development. Join me and guests from around the world as we dive into game-changing tools and expert insights covering strength training, performance enhancement, and long-term athletic development strategies. Uncover the keys to elevate your athletic potential, drawing from trusted resources to safely and effectively navigate your training and build your athletic edge. On today's episode, we are very lucky to be joined by Des Ryan, who is currently the Director of Performance and Coaching at Satanta College over in Ireland and formerly was with Arsenal as the Head of Sports Medicine and Athletic Development, I believe, but he can go more into that. So welcome, Des. Thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to the chat. I know you. I know you're an experienced coach, so I'll enjoy the conversation. Well, I think it was what, almost a year ago to the day that right. we were, so I met as in Vienna at a LTAD conference um, where he was a presenter. So yeah, I was very, very grateful for him to take out uh, some time out of his day to, to come on with us. So quickly, just for those that may not know anything about you, just a quick background and your kind of experiences in strength and conditioning, athletic development, and all that sort of stuff, if you don't mind. Sure. I'm from Ireland, the west of Ireland, more importantly, and I went to university to London to do sports science. And after that, I got a nice job working with young rugby players in Connacht, my area in Ireland. And then I quickly got promoted to the adult professional team. And I did that for about six years. And I liked it. But I always had an interest in young players, development academies. And thankfully, a position came up in Irish rugby where I would be managing the strength conditioners in the academies, developing a physical development framework, uh, working on education for the coaches in the area of athletic development. Loved that. That was really good. Quite successful. A lot of good players came through that and Irish rugby standards improved. And from that, Arsenal noticed that that was a good structure and they wanted to invest in their academy. They invited me over, um, filled a lovely position there, head of uh, sports medicine and athletic development. So within the department, we had psychology, nutrition, sports science, strength conditioning, medical, physios, doctors, a fantastic department, amazing resources, amazing talent, and a lovely environment, I must say. So uh, nine years there, enjoying the, the world of the Premier League academies. I'm enjoying it even more now, looking at all those young players doing really well around the world with different teams. And But I wanted to, post-COVID, things like that, I wanted to come back to Ireland. I wanted to help as many sports organizations as possible. Uh, so I'm working with Satanta College, a group I've been working with for a long time. And that organization is based around education. So certificates, diplomas, degrees, masters in sports related topics in, in general. But we also started Satanta Athletic Development. So with that, we support organizations like World Rugby, three major Gaelic Games academies, county academies in Ireland, numerous schools and clubs. So we're really spreading the word of good practice. Uh, athletic development. And I get to work with other organizations like the Gaelic Games Association. And um, yeah, uh, lots of variations. India Cricket, I well helped for a while. And I was over at Scottish FA last week. And it's great to have variation and, and different projects. Oh, but all usually with me, it's about developing young people. Perfect. So we'll try and start maybe broad and then we can get deeper into it. But yeah, just very broadly. So what, you know, by your definition and in your experience is LTAD, long-term athletic development, and why is it so important for kids? Yeah. So it's about helping them be the best version of themselves. And it's dual aspirational. 
hopefully the end goal will be young people will be involved in physical activity for the rest of their life. And for the few, hopefully those young people will reach the highest level of performance and be the best version of themselves. So dual aspirational, they might be active for life and pick up good habits and move well and have good athleticism. And some of them, they may progress on to the more uh, selected teams, representative teams, elite teams and national teams. But they're achieved in a very similar way. And it's important that the right content, the right coaching style is at the child's level, the youth level, young adult level, leading into the adult level. And I think it's a very specialist area. And I think people with the right accreditations, the right experience and the right qualifications should be working with these young people. And it's much more intricate than adult physical preparation, athletic development. It's lots of considerations we have to take into consideration, like growth and maturation, like training age, etc. So helping people be more athletic and helping people develop and be the best version of themselves, I think, would be a summary. Perfect, yeah. And if you were to go into, was there any, whether it was at Arsenal or anywhere else that you've been, kind of different pillars or stages of that youth athletic development curriculum that you or anyone that you worked with implemented? Yeah, both in, I think it's important for a strength conditioning coach to have a simple approach philosophy, maybe it's called, that they can explain to a parent, to a player, to a teacher, to a coach on how they physically develop players. So we got together in Arsenal. We published a paper describing it in the NSCA journal, and we wanted to describe how we physically develop players in Arsenal. And everyone was in the room, the coaches, the doctors, the physios, nutritionists, and we came up with the arrow as a shape to describe it. So we called it the Arsenal arrow, the arrow approach. And that was influenced somewhat by the CEO. He wanted those young players ready efficiently and quickly. So the arrow was to emphasize we need to get these players to the next level as quickly and efficiently as possible. And the arrow was divided into four areas. The first one was what we called functional competence, but maybe mobility, uh, good movement, good, good flexibility, good range of movement, good stability, good mobility, good movement. So then they have the ability to do more advanced exercises and then we can progress them on to more strength type activity. And the next part of the arrow was movement skills. So we wanted the players to have mature level movement skills, acceleration, deceleration, change of direction, backpedaling, jockeying, and then they could do more advanced speed, plyo type activities. And then the next part of the arrow was integrated conditioning. So Arsenal is a very technical club and the players, the coaches wanted the players composed on the ball, highly technical. So that was emphasizing, integrated conditioning was emphasizing getting fit through the game in the majority. Yeah, there will be some isolated fitness development. But if we do good quality condition games, gradually overload the players, get them ready for the next level, be it under 18, under 21, senior, adult football, Premier League football, and we gradually overload them through the game, get them conditioned through the game, uh, that helps with them technically as well. And then uh, the last part is planning and periodization. With all academies, with all underage intense environments, there can be challenges with injuries. So we wanted to minimize the injuries. We wanted to make sure the players weren't doing too much or too little and that there was smart planning. So the arrow, get them to the next level as quickly and efficiently as possible. Focus on functional competence, movement skills, integrated conditioning and planning periodization. So that was a relatively simple way to describe how we were developing the young players. 
and also a reminder to everyone in the department of our priorities. So if we didn't get planning right, that's breaking one of our priorities. If we spent the whole season running them up and down the pitch, we're not getting our priority right. If they're not moving well, or if they've poor mobility, we're not getting our priorities right. So basic, but still covers quite a lot. Yeah, and I think even now, some of the things, at least that I see, I'm sure everybody does see, and it goes back to the having the qualifications and education to go along with what you're doing, um, is maybe having the intentions of you know starting these kids on, you know, a strength conditioning program, resistance training, movement, all that sort of stuff, but maybe skipping a few steps or go into some things when they're not prepared for. And it's, you know, the heart's in the right place, but just having those, uh, the knowledge to get to those points where, all right, we're going to progress from this stage, movement competency, then we'll start to add this, then that, then having a stage of progression, which I think is what the entire LTAD model is, you know, essentially there for. Good point. We can get excited and carried away and speed up the process and the next graph in that article from Arsenal is level one, two, three, four. And that was mm-hmm. our simple way of categorizing the players. And a simple way of describing level one was how well, not how much. So master and exercises. Level two was how well and how much. Okay, let's get them strong. They know how to do the exercises well. Then level three was how well, how much, how fast. Now we can do some exciting speed, strength, diagnostics and so on. And level four was elite level. Right. Let's look at the individual. Let's look at what they need to do to reach adult professional football level, soccer level. So it ties in exactly what you're saying. We need to hold ourselves back sometimes. The players need to earn the right to get to the next level. Young teenage boys especially can get overexcited and want to do advanced, exciting exercises when they need to nail the basic, master their body weight. Yeah. So that's an important part of youth athletic development. Exactly. And how do you deal with, or what are your thoughts when whoever it is, maybe it's a parent or their sport coach or anybody that comes and say they're, you know, an 11, 12, 13 year old individual who's had no prior experience, you know, they're really adamant about them training. Oh, this, he or she is a footballer, a volleyball player. They need to do this, this and that. When in reality, essentially most kids will have the same starting point, like you said, whether it's the the competency, movements, all that sort of stuff. So how would you address, let's say, a parent who comes and wants to have their child do a very sports-specific training program at a very young age? Yeah. No, I take parent education very serious. I'll answer your question mm-hmm. in succinctly, but the longer answer to that is, in Arsenal, we had things like a parent engagement group. We had a, a parent education pathway. There was regular modules uh, with every one of the parents. There was a curriculum for every one of the parents. And then the parent engagement group, there were smaller numbers in a meeting, disseminating what we're doing, what we're trying to do. Now, that was everything together, technical, tactical, psychosocial, education and physical. But within that was explaining our approach, was explaining the journey and that managed expectations. But if I was just to come up with a parent and the parent came to me and the parent wanted a sports-specific program straight away tomorrow and thinking the young man is going to be the next Lionel Messi, etc., I go, let's come in here to the gym. Okay, this young man, let's say he's 15, could you do some chin-ups there? And the player mightn't be able to do good chin-ups and I would be asking them to do 13, okay? My marker is if they can handle their body weight, do 13 chins, maybe we can go on and do more advanced, not even specific, but advanced strength conditioning. Mm-hmm. Now come over here and you're either doing push-ups on a Swiss ball or your feet up and your hands on unstable surface. 
Again, do 20 of those. Mm, you can't. Okay, and you want to do advanced bench uh, and high loads? No. And now show me your technique in the clean or the power clean. Oh, you don't know it. You've never done it. Or you think you know it and you did it badly. And now come over here and do a single leg uh, hip hinge airplane movement with your hands out to the side. Stay stable. Okay, stand on one leg with your knee up and your arms out. Close your eyes for 10 seconds each leg. Oh, you can't do that. And then do a toe touch. Reach in the air and touch your toes. Right. And I said to the parent and the player, these are basics. These are basic movements. These are basic bodyweight challenges. You right now are a level one player. You cannot go on and do the advanced exercises in the area of strength. You are not ready to go on and do specific type exercises just yet. You've got to earn the right. But if you lay this foundation, the benefits will be less chance of injury. The benefits will be better motor skills control. That'll help your sport. The benefits will be you'll get stronger. Yeah. The benefits will be you'll get healthier. The benefits will be greater well-being. But this has to be developed over a long, good quality periodized plan uh, with all the principles of youth athletic development. But if you lay that foundation, when you get to 18, when you get to the early 20s, you can do the more advanced content. But that takes a number of years. And my rule of thumb is it takes about four years to build a professional athlete in the physical sense of the sports. So it takes time. And I think what we're battling a bit now as well is even going back to the kids themselves is they'll see everything all over social media or Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is of these, mm. whether they're influencers, bodybuilders, this, that and the other doing, you know, some pretty crazy things and wanting to, you know, push themselves to do this, this and that, you know. I constantly have to have conversations about, all right, we training every day as hard as possible, probably not the best for us, this, this, and that. So how would you approach talking to youth athletes? Obviously, we want them to be committed and push themselves and have that edge to them, but, you know, in a smart way where we can steadily progress. And, you know, we're not trying to make them the best 13-year-old lifter out there. We're just trying to build a foundation for them to be a strong mindset as they grow up through. Yeah, and two-pronged approach with the parents more so young person wouldn't be too interested in this, is explaining the various accreditations out there, qualifications and so on. So with myself, I, I put a lot of time and effort to become a chartered scientist in the UK. I put a lot of time and effort to be accredited a basis high performance sports accreditation from the British Association of Sport and Exercise Science. Put a lot of time and effort to be accredited in the UK Strength Condition Association. So I can say to that parent, I have an accreditation. I have a master's, I have a chartership, and these are the sort of things that people should have that are looking after young players. And these are the sort of people that should be working with young players. And then the parent would have an understanding of what a qualified person is. And with those qualifications, there's less chance of the examples you mentioned and the not-so-good practice and the cowboys and cowgirls that could be out there. No disrespect to traditional cowboys and cowgirls, but you know what I mean. And then with the young player... What we had in, in Arsenal and what we do in Satanta is create a high challenge, high support environment. And we wouldn't win over the young person that day. But we might win over the young person in two or three sessions time. We definitely would win over the person in three weeks, four weeks time, because we'd be listening to the player. We'd be educating the player. We'd be challenging the player with tough exercises and showing him or her the areas they need to improve. But then we'd be supporting them by giving them encouragement and praising them when they do well and showing them the benefits through the testing and profiling we may be doing, showing them the gradual improvements, talking to them about the performance on the pitch and if it's transferring over. 
And after six to eight weeks, we'll probably feel that on the pitch and see that on the pitch, as will they. And yeah, it's a slower process with that. That's down to the coach-player relationship, the trust that they, they want them to spend time together to create the high challenge, high support environment. And we had, with young people especially, we had a phrase in Arsenal. It's an Irish phrase, that's praise youth and they will flourish. So what I notice about young people in young sport, wrongly probably, that they're under a bit of pressure from their parents, from their teammates, from their coaches, from people watching the sports to do well. And it might be the first time they ever enter the competitive environment. And how are they to know what it is or how it should be? And they feel very under pressure to win a game, to be picked on a squad, to be get to a representative squad. Whereas if they step into the world of athletic development, that pressure isn't there. They're just training and being supported by an athletic development coach. They're given challenges, but they're reasonable challenges. And the phrase means praise you and they will flourish. So if you praise them for mastering a technique, getting a certain amount of reps, lifting a certain load, they feel good about the environment. They feel good about spending time with that coach. They're aware the coach is interested in how they're performing on the pitch, is asking them questions about things outside of the sport, and is a proper good youth athletic development coach. And then that young man wants to spend time with that person, gets uh, positive energy from that person, uh, gets good challenge from that person and feels like they've done a good workout and in the medium term feels the benefits and improvements both in the athletic development environment, which could be the pitch or the gym, but feels the improvements in the competition area as well. So a longer one for the player, but achievable one for a good, uh, experienced, qualified athletic development coach. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important for us as, as coaches to develop those relationships with our athletes and, and young people just so they have that trust in us that even if, you know, maybe we tell them to do something that they don't want to do, they at least understand it and we can uh, still get a positive outcome from them. Yeah, yeah. And we've got the tools like understanding biological maturation. Mm -hmm. We've got the tools to build player profiles. We've got the tools with certain technologies to show movement, to show power, speed, endurance. And maybe the not so good examples you described earlier, they don't have those things. So with good education, uh, with good experience, we can lay these out in front of the player. And I think the player enjoys learning about maturation and all those other areas and some common sense, smart technology. It can make the session feel very advanced and very cool, uh, but still using basic tools and sensible good practice. Exactly. Diving a little more specific, what are some, if any, of the tests, whether it was at Arsenal or Irish Rugby or Satanta now that you're using, that you might use with the youth athletes coming into a program that you're developing? Oh, yeah. Um, so what I like first and foremost is estimation of percentage of adult height using the Camus Roach equation. And if people go to the University of Bath website and they uh, type in growth and maturation, there's information on it there. There's a widget there, they call it, that will calculate this. So all you need is the parent's height. All you need is the date of birth of the young player, the height and weight of the young player. You add that into the widget and it shows what percentage of adult height the player is and if the player is an early developer or a late developer or on time developer. And now you know the player better. And you could have 20, 14-year-olds on your squad and some of them could be 
96, 97% of adult height. And some of them could be 86, 85% of adult height. Very different. And some of them could be early developers and some of them late developers. And those under 14, some of them, you should be thinking in the context they're 13, 12 even. And others, you should be thinking in the context they're 15, they're 16, biologically. And now you've got a wonderful tool to, to understand the player. And then if you measure the player twice, say over three months, and the difference is there, multiply the difference by four to get the rate of growth over a year. Now the player could be growing at a very fast rate and you have more context to understand the plan and if you need to adapt the plan, modify the plan. And these are simple measurements. As long as you measure it correctly, feet together, shoes off, looking straight ahead, deep breath in, not tilting the head up, not tilting the head down, not going on your tippy toes, Measuring it twice, comparing the difference, and if the difference is more than 0.04, doing it again and getting the medium. So even basics of, of measuring height and weight are, are need to be done well. But once they're done well, you've got that info. And then in terms of the, the Premier League testing, very simple. We all got into a room 10 years ago and we agreed on, on simple tests. And they're a 10-metre sprint. And the protocols, the height of the gates, 95 centimetres, back one metre, the distance, 10 metres, and the width of the lane, one metre, 20 centimetres. Although that detail is important to have uh, written down in your fitness testing manual for these to be valuable long term. Mm -hmm. And we chose an indoor area and artificial grass. So now it's repeatable every time. And you got a lovely measurement of acceleration. And some of the you can map out a journey then for a player. Uh, but as I say with everyone, tests should be looked on like seasons in a year. So if you're comparing winter one year, you need to compare it to winter the next year. Mm -hmm. Because if you compare it to summer, there may be a different stage of the season, more matches, more fatigue, more freshness, whatever it may be. And speed is very delicate and it's hard to compare over that short period of time. But if you test that player in the winter in 2023 and you wait till 2024, it's a similar stage of the season. Now you can see if there's improvements over time. And similarly with other stages of the season, fall, spring, summer. Um, so speed, yeah. We measured 0 to 10, 0 to 30. Jumps, we did the counter-movement jump. But we were very aware that if you don't have a force plate and you're using a contact mat, that we decided to use the Bosco protocols. Now, I won't get into it, but basically, if you jump in the air and the last thing to, to leave the mat is the tips of your toe and your legs are completely straight, well, that's what should be hitting it when you land. Mm -hmm. So the Bosco protocols are when you land, you bounce. So in order for you to bounce straight away, you got to have your legs straight and you're landing on the tip of your toes. So that's accurate measuring the flight time. Mm -hmm. Sadly, uh, people, players are very clever and they can get extra flight time by bending their knees and landing lower. So you got to control for that. And the Premier League, they do. And then we did the yo-yo intermittent recovery level one and endurance test was good history, good research behind it, reasonably simple to test and do. And... Yeah, after that, it was up to the clubs how they wanted to do strength. It was up to the clubs how they wanted to do change of direction, if they wanted to do that. But they were very handy for looking at the players over the long term. And then the other things, movement. So we were very lucky in the club that we had a markerless motion capture 3D assessment. And the players stepped in and in about 15 minutes, we got nine different movements, be it a drop jump, squat jump, 
single leg hip hinge, etc. So then we had a baseline for movement. We had a baseline for speed, baseline for power, baseline for endurance, uh, strength tests. We actually took it from the sessions themselves. So it was more monitoring what was the heaviest load in particular planes of movement. And then body composition. um, For the older players, we had a DEXA scanner, um, but we had weight as well. Uh, So all very simple. But the key to it is, as I say about fitness testing, it's like a, a good marriage or a good a relationship with a girlfriend. Ideally, it lasts for a long time. Ideally, if it is to end, there has to be a very good reason to change the fitness test. So because you want to be able to look back over nine years and that's what can be done in Arsenal now. And with all that data, you can make stronger summaries of what average, above average, below average is, what elite is. And you can look at them in the context of maturation. So again, the difference between the 14-year-olds, it's important to have the maturation context of those results. So keep it simple. Write down your protocols on a fitness testing manual and stick with the test so you can look back at it over a long period of time and look at it in the context of maturation for youth development. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Going back to... Again, while you're at Arsenal, what would the weeks have looked like for, you know, players in the academy? And this honestly can extrapolate to any athlete because 90% of youth athletes have crazy busy schedules, whether it's one sport or multiple sports, whatever time of year. Um, Mm -hmm. And oftentimes strength training and strength conditioning is the thing, you know, the first to go if they do get a busy schedule. So what was Arsenal's approach slash an idea for people outside of that world um, on how to fit it in and keep things going? I'll do two weeks. The first week, under 18, they're full-time. So I'll quickly go through that because not everyone has access to that. They came in on a Monday. We did monitoring. They did a, a pit session that morning, returning back to play, so relatively easy. We did an upper body gym session in the afternoon. Moving on to Tuesday, the tough day. They did a priority session before they went out to the pitch, whatever area they needed to work on. Then they did their linear speed and their pit session, their main pit session, tough one. And then in the afternoon, they did either a second technical session and their gym session, which was mainly legs, or just a gym session, which was mainly legs. Then Wednesday, a relaxing day after that tough day, they're in education, they're sitting down, they do a little bit of recovery. Thursday, they come in, do their priority session again, do their pit session, and then do their upper body in the afternoon. And then Friday, they do their monitoring. How did they cope with that week? Did they do too much or too little or just right? And then they did their match day minus one session and they had their match on the second. Very important week, very important phase under 18. They're usually in it for about two years. That's when I think players are really developed because you got that consistent Mm -hmm. challenging week and then they get ready for adult football. But before that, and under 16 down, they're all part-time. They're all in school. Mm. They're all playing other sports, other activities. They're doing their exams, their GCSEs, and they're just like any other normal young person playing sports. So the under 15s, for example, they were with us three times in the week for training and they had a match. So in those three times, they had two gym sessions and they happened before or after the, the pit session. Uh, depending on the content and the context of the pit session. And they had two units of speed. So one of them would be straight line speed just before a pit session. And the other one would be more change direction game speed before a, a pit session uh, later in the week. And they would be about 15, to, uh, 20 minute units. And the two gym sessions would be about 30 minute units. And the under 16s had three gym sessions and two speed sessions. And then you go down to the under nines. They had two units of 15 minutes a week before their sessions. 
and they were with the club two to three times a week with a game on the weekend. And under 14s, they were with the club three times a week and they had two gym sessions and two speed units. So very similar, quite the way through. And they were consistent. They were agreed with the coaches, the academy manager. Uh, we had a nice gym on site that, the, that could be utilized for that. There was lots of intricate timetabling. And, and we had four conditioners from under nines to under sixteens. And we used to do things like stagger the start. So a mm-hmm. strength conditioner could be with one team doing their speed. And then another team would just slot in for that same conditioner. Similarly, on the other pitch, there's another age group. And it's staggered and the conditioner can take the speed unit of two teams in the one hour long period, for example. And then after their team training session, they'd go in and they do the, the younger age groups would do the gym after the pit session and the older age groups, something similar. But if it was an upper body session, they might do it before, just out of timetable. So there was a bit of intricate timetable. But everyone got two gym sessions and two speed sessions from under 12 to under 16. And 16's got three gym sessions. And below 12, they got two units of predominantly fundamental movement skills, cooperative games, purposeful play, and multi-sport in a 15-20 minute window. And let's say for the under 16s, for this example, what would those gym sessions have? Very basically, what would they have kind of consisted of? I know you guys did use some, you know, Olympic lifting and other variations yeah. um, of strength work. So just a quick outline. We would be looked on as uh, fairly progressive. And because we had the players from under lines up, most of them, uh, they could do somewhat advanced content. Mm-hmm. So there would be one upper body, one lower body, one whole body. And there would be Olympic lifts. In the start, in other sessions, in the start, there would be like plyos. In other phases of the season, there would be exercises like speed, strength, strength, speed, maybe adapted Olympic lifts, maybe squat jumps, maybe dumbbell jumps. And then in the main part of the session, pretty standard. We had our horizontal push, horizontal pull, vertical push, vertical pull, pillar strength, hip dominant, knee dominant, single leg, double leg balance. So when we looked back over the week and the phase, we made sure there was a balance between single leg, double leg, uh, knee down, hip dominant, push, pull, vertical, horizontal, and pillar strength. Now on the pitch, we got the jumps, we got the speed, we got the change of direction. We did some plyos, yeah, in the gym environment as well, and Olympic lists were part of it. And the players would aim to get, we didn't really aim for two times body weight, but definitely 1.7 times body weight Mm -hmm. at the age of 15, 16, graduating full-time football. But after a period of three, four, five years of learning techniques, of building the training age, of getting ready to get to that level. And for any youth athletes that might be listening to this, what is the importance of building those techniques first? And then why is it so important that we, as athletes, you know, approach lifts in instead of body parts, you know, a chest day, back day, like whatever, horizontal pushes, pulls, hinges, all those sorts of things? Yeah, we wanted them strong on the pitch. We wanted them to be able to accelerate. We wanted, if I look at the Arsenal football philosophy, they wanted strong players, high-speed players, high-speed repeatability. So we wanted to do good quality speed. We wanted to get in good positions for speed. So we wanted good mobility in the hip, stability in the knee, mobility in the ankle, stiffness in the ankle. Um, They had to be built over time. And if you want to get into a good running action, you needed that mobility in the hip. So we wanted that mobility, good movement skills. Um, And that can come from doing a good overhead squat, good deep front squats, good position Olympic lift snatch, wide grip. And that's getting strength and range into the joints. 
So now you can get into the right positions. Now we wanted to exert force on the ground. So if we gradually built up into being able to do a good quality squat, deadlift, RDL, now you're able to exert force in the ground with control, with still good range, and that can transfer on the pitch and it can help you with decelerating, change of direction. But if you go straight into those advanced exercises, you're not going to lift much and you're going to lift ugly and it's going to have bad technique and you're going to tighten up. And even though there's no research to suggest lifting badly equals injuries. Well, who's ever going to do research on that because you're going to have to hurt people? (laughs) Logic suggests, and sadly experience suggests from myself, that if you let players train with bad techniques, doing exercises they're not ready for, things tighten up. At the very least, they're running with poor movement skills and not efficiently. And at the very worst, it leads to injuries. And we have to be really careful in the 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, 15 age groups when they're growing fast that we might uh, exasperate growth-related injuries and annoy things like knees and osgoods, heels and severs Mm -hmm. if we're loading when we shouldn't be loading, if we're rushing the players when we shouldn't rush them. Um, But yeah, it just leads to bad bad things, sadly. Excellence takes time. Yep, and that's a perfect segue into talking a little bit about the growth and maturation aspect. So, peak high velocity frame with it doesn't know essentially your growth spurt. So, when players are well, actually, I guess you could first talk about how you guys would identify when players were going through, you know, peak high velocity, and then any adaptations to their training, maybe, maybe not. What would you know give those conclusions that you guys would make, and how you would go about that? Yeah, there's a few methods. So. I discussed in Canvas Roach, working out the percentage of adult height and around 92, that's peak height velocity, 92% of adult height, and then you're coming into it either side. So with that, we were able to highlight the players that were coming up to the growth spurt, in the growth spurt, and after the growth spurt. Mm -hmm. And we would highlight that traffic light, yellow, red, green. Green if they're past the growth spurt, Mm -hmm. red if they're in the middle of the growth spurt, and yellow if they're coming up to it. Now on top of that, we'd highlight the players that are growing fast. And it's it's not exactly sequential and linear. If you look at it from far away, yeah, it's a curve of increase in rate of growth. But there'll be spikes in the middle of that if you look in close. Mm-hmm. So to be even more sensitive, we looked at the rate of growth. And there might have been players before and after the growth were still growing fast in that particular period. So we could flag those as well. Anyone growing more than 7.2 centimeters were more predisposed. Some research would suggest the growth-related injuries. So now we could keep an eye on the players in red. We could keep an eye on the players with the little flag saying they're growing fast at that moment in time. But in our method, we chose, okay, they're just clues. Now we get together as an interdisciplinary team, physio, coach, assistant coach, strength conditioner, psychologist, maybe, for some teams. And okay, Anyone notice that? And the physio might say, yeah, little Johnny has three out of 10 pain in his knee. It's his Osgoods starting to be annoying. And then the conditioner may say, yeah, I'm noticing adolescent awkwardness in the gym. He's struggling. He's going through a growth phase. And then the coach is going, yeah, I'm noticing adolescent awkwardness on the pitch. Physio, could get that get worse? Yeah, if we keep loading it, it could get worse. Okay. Uh, the coach might decide, okay, we won't do the intense parts of the session the last 15 minutes. And he can, the player can go over to the conditioner and do coordination work, getting used to the new mm-hmm. ligaments, tendons, bones that have appeared quickly. And that usually stops it going from a three out of 10 pay into a seven. And now he's not training at all. So we found that useful for keeping players on the pitch. There's other methods and David Johnson did some excellent work in Bournemouth Academy. Mm-hmm. 
where they may not have had the, the number of physios, conditioners as Arsenal, and they still took the same measurements. And any players who were in a specific stage of growth and rate of fast growth, they automatically adapted the session. Now, that was proven to work. And that reduced the amount of players who lost training and time and increased overall the amount of time training. So that reduced the injuries and players not playing. So that's a simple method. If they're in this particular phase of growth, uh, the growth spurt, they're growing fast, they do one less training session. Mm -hmm. Whereas Arsenal, it was a bit more nuanced. It was symptom-based and very individual-based. They both work depending on the context and environment. And not enough of that goes on, to be honest. And it takes a bit of work and it takes a bit of knowledge, but it's best practice for these young players when they're going through that. It's normal, it's natural, but it's challenging going through that, those changes at that young age. Yeah, and it's sometimes having that conversation if a kid is going through a growth-related injury. You know, if you keep pushing, 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 eventually you get to the point where you might have to take one, two, three months off versus, yes. all right, let's have that conversation when we're just noticing it. And maybe, yeah, like you said, we take 15 minutes off of each training session to keep them still active and growing because, you know, that way they don't miss out on, you know, what their teammates and friends and everybody else is doing. And it works best when the coach has a good understanding of it. Yeah, And what was very helpful to me, per Matisacker, the academy manager in Arsenal, mm -hmm. a successful Arsenal player, a successful player for Germany, won a World Cup. When he was young, he was out of the game for a whole year because of Osgoods. So he had great empathy towards, we need to manage this, and this can be quite challenging for young people. So he was very supportive of doing appropriate management of players through, during those phases with those symptoms. Exactly. Is there anything other than, obviously, the two main ones would probably be Osgood and uh, Severs. Was there anything else you guys would see, especially in the footballer population? Yeah, it, around the hip area. There's different types of growth-related injuries there. They can appear, especially with the high kick in sport that it is. Um, so anything in the joints, hip, knee, uh, ankle, heel, yeah, can appear. Got you, got you. Delving into a bit of a different topic and one that I know you have opinion on, and it's the whole sport specialization versus maybe sampling, how we can approach that. And I guess a couple of things that come into this are the age of the, the athlete and then maybe even the sport that they're playing. Because unfortunately, mm. there are just some sports that are historically sports specialization. And then there's others where, you know, having a little bit of a, a different approach can be beneficial. But yeah, just to take your thoughts on that. Yeah, and the evidence is clear that if we look at it in a simplistic way, um, sampling or playing lots of different sports is really good. Mm -hmm. It helps with being active for life in sport over the, the rest of your life, and it helps with reducing injuries. To the opposite side of that, early specialization, the research is, is clear that it can lead to dropout more so than the other group that sampled and it can lead to more injuries. So if we look at it in a very simplistic way, there are two important pieces of information context. So I believe that, I emphasize that, but we need to look at it a little bit deeper and in, in greater context. So if I look at the sport of soccer, if a player is to reach a high level in soccer, so this is separate to a discussion on participation, that would be completely different. Let's talk about talent development. So if you're to develop a player for the top five leagues in Europe, he needs to be playing a good bit of soccer during the course of his development. So I describe it as a hybrid, early emphasis, but he's still playing other sports or she, 
And there's skills that that player needs to master in highly technical sports like soccer. Before the growth spurt, when the neuromuscular system is plastic and pliable, when you're adaptable and you can learn things, you're quick to learn how to ride a bike, you're quick to pick up languages, you're quick to pick up new skills. So mastering skills at that age is handy. That's why doing soccer at that age is, is handy. Now, if you're in an academy, supporting that player with athletic development, with psychosocial support, with managing other other uh, sports and doing other sports with them while you're there gives you all those benefits that you get from sampling plus athletic development which is proven benefits plus psychosocial benefits and let me think now so that i think it's not researched a lot but that is better than just playing a lot of sports or just mm-hmm. doing one sport and not much athletic development yeah so we had a position statement in arsenal the players should play other sports because as I mentioned before, they're only with us four times in the week. So there's three other days where they can do other sports. They can do unstructured play. They can take a day off. They can play with their friends. And we encourage sports at the 9, 10, 11, 12. When it got to under 14, under 13, we suggested less sports, still play a few others. And yeah, avoid representative sport because you're, mm. you're with us as well. We still encourage other sports. But then when it got to 16, yeah, now's the time to decide which sport you're serious on. You're getting very close to going to full-time if you're selected. So every sport is different. Every environment is different. And it's a much more complex discussion than, okay, just sample lots of sports or just specialize in one sport. you got to think about the holistic development around the player in order to help them to get to a high level in this example of soccer. And you got to encourage other sports but manage the workloads of the player so they get the benefit of sampling lots of sports. And there's going to be a little bit of extra soccer if the player is to reach a very high level in soccer. Um, but then, of course, you got the early specialization sports like diving and gymnastics where you, you mm-hmm. got to get in there early. And they got to be supplemented with athletic development. With holistic I was going to say, support. how can we combat those sports mm-hmm. that do? Yeah, and... I think I'm not an expert in those sports, but I do hear and understand the overuse injuries that are there, mm-hmm. um, the injuries that can be prevalent when they're there. So I think athletic development coaches working with early specialization sports are even more important. Measuring growth and maturation, even more important. Managing workloads outside of the training of the one sport, even more important to make sure the player doesn't do too much. So readiness to train rate of growth are very important for those. Exactly, because one of the last things we want to happen is for that young athlete to burn out early or have those overuse injuries where, yeah, maybe they are you know, a really good 13, 14-year-old gymnast, whatever mm-hmm. it is, but by the time they get to their uh, you know, adulthood or, or peaking age for whatever sport it is, they either are burnt out or can't do it anymore because of these past injuries. Yeah, and something that could be useful when managing many different sports so now we're moving away from developing high-level soccer players. We're more in the community. Mm-hmm. And young players should be playing different sports for participation, for enjoyment. So what I'm quite happy with is recently we published a paper for Gaelic Games. Mm-hmm. And in it is the approach, like what I described earlier, but slightly different for Gaelic Games. But we also put in the principles of planning. And there was nine principles. So if you were breaking those principles. Well, something had to be changed. So something like uh, we, we said the player shouldn't do more than two hours high intensity activity in the one day. So if mm-hmm. they are, something needs to be adapted. We said there shouldn't be high intensity activities side by side on consecutive days. 
if there could be moderate and, and high, mm-hmm. there could be low and high, but not high and high. So now we're spreading the intensity through the week. We talked about having one day off a week. We talked about having opportunity to have unstructured play and enjoyment. We spoke about, I won't be able to list them all out now. Yeah. But you can <laughs> see, you can see how they're uh, simple principles to follow. And if yeah. you're involved in two sports, that leads to sharing and cooperating together and spreading the workload. Other things were that you do monitor the workload of the player through the week so you can see if things mm-hmm. are happening. Other things are that you do communicate with the other sports in order to be collaborative and sharing. Other things were all along that management of workloads, pretty much. And would you guys have implemented some sort of you know little questionnaire or readiness nutrition, stress, anything like that with your players, just to, obviously it's subjective, but just to keep kind of a, an overlooking um, eye on them? That, that was one of the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. So under 21, yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah. Under 18, no problem. They're full-time. They're a bit more mature. They come in, they do their weight, hydration, they do the jump test, they do the squeeze test, they fill out their palms. It's all flagged very early. The most mm-hmm. important thing is the conversation with the player, and then that leads on to modification of training or everything's okay. So that was easy, full-time environment, more mature players. Now you step into under 16 and down, less mature, not mm-hmm. as good at explaining what they've been doing in outside of the club. We tried a good few times on filling out a diary, and mm-hmm. and a 12-year-old isn't amazing at that. So yeah. we compliance, uh, description issues, and I just didn't want to overload the player. They're still in school. So all we did is write down a typical week once a month. So not too much homework for the player, but we got an idea of what was going on. And then we could dive in with more questions if we needed. Ready to train, we didn't bother with it uh, from under 14 down, but we did at under 15, at under 16, to get them ready for if they did go to under 18, under 21. And we still used it as an indication of how they're feeling. But we only did weight and palms, perception of mood state questions, like did you sleep well, what, have you muscle soreness, are you looking forward to today's session? So they had to learn how to use that. There was a phase of that. And once they learned the ranking and rating system, then you could use it in a meaningful way. Um, but if I look back at the under 14s, 13s, 12s, we had GPS from under uh, 13 up, 12 sometimes. We saw what they were doing on the pitch. They filled out the week of what they're doing away from us. And it was never too excessive in intensity from a duration condition point of view for the under 14s down because we had other priorities, how to move, learn their exercises, run properly. And uh, yeah, there was intensity but true football and true games and one session during the week. Mm-hmm. We did RPE actually and time with the players. So racial proceeding surgeon yep. for the sessions. We did that from under 12 up. Uh, palms, we did it under 15, under 16. So as they got older, you could add in. Got a little more intricate. As you go to along. Now, other people may do more than that. But personally, I just felt I didn't want to burden 12, yeah. 13 year olds. I think the we have to remember that yeah. they have, you know. All these other things going on in their life and (laughs) depending on what age they are, especially the ones that are getting ready for exams and everything else going on. So (laughs) perfect. Well, I definitely want to be conscious of your time. So I do not want to take up too much more. I'll just have one kind of parting thing. And that's just to ask if there's anything you want to tell parents, youth athletes, or or even sport coaches, you know, to kind of leave them with about how to approach the long-term athletic development of their either athletes or children. 
Oh, yeah. Firstly, work with the right person. Make sure the accreditation, the qualification, the experiences. Get to know what your player, what your son, your daughter is doing. So a total picture of the the week. Try and act on it if the players do too much or too little. Um, Have a focus on earning the right to go to the next level. Master and exercises. Um, Have it heavily education-based. Try and chat to the player on get them to explain to you what they're doing, as well as conversations with the conditioner. Um, Yeah, so find a good practitioner and it's a long-term project and monitor what they're doing. Perfect. And yeah, and that fits because that's the main reason I started this project is to hopefully give a little bit of education to those sorts of people that, you know, it's it's hard to find out there sometimes. So as much education as, uh, as possible on these subjects, I think it will take us a long way. Important, yes. Fair play for, for doing it. Admirable. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Des. I really appreciate it. Enjoyable. Thank you.